Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And the fact that it's an hour to an hour and a half away from town, that makes it a more severe incident. Tonight, as the bus near Banfield is hauled from a ditch, the factors that made a dangerous road deadly. Plus, on a stormy night, police in Surrey are asking for witnesses to a fatal pedestrian accident. And... BC firefighters return home from a challenging and emotional mission in hurricane-ravaged Bahamas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Thanks for joining us tonight. Tough questions are being asked. Less than 48 hours after two University of Victoria students died on a school-sanctioned field trip. Calls are growing for the province to fix a road they died on. The industrial logging road between Banfield and Port Alberni on the west coast of Vancouver Island is notoriously poor. And this is not the first time lives have been lost there. Nadia Stewart has our top story from Vancouver Island tonight. They are traces of Friday night's tragic bus crash scattered by the side of the road and all the way down the embankment. This is the spot where the bus carrying 45 University of Victoria students, two faculty and a bus driver, somehow left the road. The bus flipping on its side after tumbling about 20 metres. This is a, a horrible, horrible tragedy and I'm just really sorry that it had to come to this. Port Alberni's mayor says this industrial logging road has long since been a concern. This is a road that used to be heavily used as a logging road and, and now it's heavily used by tourists and it's heavily used by um, people who live in Banfield and people who live in, in Huayat territory and the condition is unacceptable for people to have to be travelling on as the main road to get to and from their communities. Even when it's not raining, this is a rough road to drive on. So when it's coming down like this, the shoulder just becomes so soft. If your vehicle comes too close to the edge... Industrial roads like this are common in BC, but this one is different. Maybe what's a little bit unique about Bamfield is the fact that we have this, this uh, campus out there and we have students traveling out there. According to the facility's website, students typically arrive at 10 o'clock at night. No one from the Marine Centre was taking questions on Sunday. It appears these workers were called in to try and make this portion of the road a bit safer. Friday's incident brings the death toll now to at least five. Way First Nation is renewing its call for road improvements and maintenance, hoping no more lives have to be lost before something is done. Nadia Stork, Global News, Banfield. And tonight we're also hearing from a longtime Banfield resident who had to drive 20 minutes in the cell service deprived area to call 911 after discovering the fatal crash. As Kristen Robinson reports, a Port Alberni shuttle operator says she quit driving the road several years ago. There were no flashing lights when the first motorist stumbled upon Friday's fatal bus crash. There's nothing between Port Alberni and Bamfield except for maybe one street light that's about halfway, about 34 kilometers out. Longtime Bamfield resident Stella Peters knows the road and its perils. Just looking at 
how far down they went. I knew it had to be pretty bad. In the dark, she knew she had to call 911. We had to drive about yeah. 20 minutes, if not more, before we actually got cell service. Lack of cell reception on the private logging road operated and maintained by Western Forest Products, one of the reasons Alberni Shuttle Service is a custom charter to any destination on Vancouver Island except Bamfield. People do still call me to try and book and I encourage them for safety to take the Francis Barkley. The passenger ferry that does day trips to Bamfield. Marina Geiga stopped driving students there several years ago. She says people drive the narrow gravel road like a paved highway, her buses are at risk for damage, and dodging logging trucks was too much. It can be quite terrifying when you see these things come around the corner and they're in the middle of the road coming around. For more than a decade, there have been calls to turn Bamfield Road into a provincial highway, a push supported by the 2008 BC Forest Safety Ombudsman's Report, which recommended the province establish public highway designation for resource roads that serve as primary access for communities like Bamfield. This post here, it's got the design on it. I just think it's sad, though, it takes something like this to get things to get done. Western Forest Products says this section was graded a day before the UVic tragedy, and the company has written provincial ministers in support of local requests for road upgrades. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Surrey RCMP want to speak with any witnesses to a deadly accident last night. A pedestrian was struck and killed at 152nd Street and Highway 10 at about 10.30 last night. The driver stayed at the scene. The area was closed for hours as investigators looked into the cause of the crash, including heavy rain. Anyone who has any information about the incident or has dash cam video is asked to call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A Vancouver police officer is sharing a shocking traffic incident on social media. Patrol Sergeant Sandra Glendinning detailing how she pulled over an alleged impaired mother yesterday afternoon after the woman passed her dragging one tire sideways. Glendinning says she got to the woman's window and before she could say anything, the eight-year-old passenger started yelling, Thank God you pulled us over. I thought we were all going to die. The tweet has received more than 2,000 views. Global News has reached out to the Vancouver Police Department for more information. A Ridge Meadows RCMP officer is recovering after being attacked as he tried to break up a house party. Today, it's a quiet neighborhood where it happened, but police say things got out of control last night at a home in the 19200 block of Fieldstone Walk in Pitt Meadows. Police were called to shut the party down and found a large number of intoxicated teens refusing to leave. When they started moving in to remove the youths, one officer was assaulted and arrests were made. Two parties of a political kind now on this day five of the federal election campaign. Party leaders fanned out across the country, stumping about everything from taxes and trade with the U.S. to tennis star Bianca Andreescu. Global's Travis Danrush wraps it all up for us. They're desperate to try to change the, the, the channel. Even before Andrew Scheer's plane touched down in B.C. this morning, the Conservative leader was on the defensive. Speaking to reporters overnight en route from Ottawa to Vancouver, Scheer tried to head off controversy about inappropriate comments on social media made by Conservative candidates. The Liberals have characterized the post as racist and homophobic. 
If anything that they've ever said in the past caused any type of uh, hurt or disrespect to uh, one community or another uh, and have apologized for that, uh, I accept that. Shear also talked trade. He says he would ratify the new agreement between Canada, the U.S. and Mexico if he becomes PM even though he says he feels Canada was taken advantage of by U.S. President Donald Trump. He also announced a universal tax cut, which he says would reduce the lowest income bracket and save an average family about $850 a year. In Quebec, Jagmeet Singh pushed the NDP's message. Singh says if elected, he'll give Quebec more power to make decisions on language, immigration and the environment. I know how important it is to defend one's identity. I understand how important identity is for Quebec, and I want to defend that, I want to fight for that, and I want people to know I can be your ally, and I will be your ally. Justin Trudeau is focused on gaining ground in the 905, that vote-rich area around Toronto. The Liberal leader is in Mississauga for a She the North rally to celebrate tennis star Bianca Andreescu. And as we head into week two of the campaign, the race remains tight. Most polls right now have the Conservatives and Liberals in a virtual tie. The race also neck and neck on the left, with the NDP having a slight advantage right now over the Greens. Election day, over a month away still, a lifetime in politics and also out on the campaign trail. Travis Danraj, Global News. And with more on the strategic reason behind Conservative leader Andrew Scheer's stop in Surrey during his swing through B.C. today, Keith Baldry joins us live in Victoria. And Keith, what's the strategy in the fight for Battleground B.C.? Well, basically, the leaders are going to be going to the ridings they think they can win. They're not going to spend, you know, you're not going to see Andrew Scheer spend any time in Vancouver East. Uh, but South Surrey is a riding that the Liberals, have, uh, the Conservatives have been strong in the past. So it's a very much a strategic visit. When, he, when a leader visits a riding, they get a lot of attention. A lot of the, uh, local voters pay attention. Uh, they otherwise might not. So it does lead to the opportunity to make a bit of a splash. I want to show you some numbers now. From the election in 2015, the, the Conservatives actually won this riding uh, by a considerable amount, 44% to 41.5% for the Liberals. Basically a two-party race here. That's why I'm not showing the NDP and Green numbers. But look what happened in 2017 in the by-election when Diane Watts quit to run in the BC Liberal leadership race. It was the Liberals that came out on top by a considerable margin, 47.5% over the Conservatives. But on paper, this is clearly a riding Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives think they can take back. Uh, Gordy Hogue is the incumbent. He's a popular, longtime politician for the Liberals in uh, South Surrey. So this is very much one of the key battleground ridings in British Columbia. When Scheer comes back to BC, look for him to spend more time in sort of those ridings in the Fraser Valley, Cloverdale, uh, Langley City, uh, Mission, Maple Ridge, areas like that that Conservatives used to hold on to fairly strong margins. They lost to the Liberals in 2015. That's where they think they can pick up uh, seats, and that's why you're going to see Andrew Scheer reappear in places like Surrey, Pitt Middles, Maple Ridge, and Mission in the days ahead. All right, Keith, thanks so much for that. The ongoing fight over resource energy projects can be pinpointed in one riding in this country, and it's right here in B.C., Burnaby North Seymour, where the Trans Mountain Pipeline ends. Our Paul Johnson reached out to the front-running candidates for their positions on the controversial expansion, and you might be surprised by their answers. Few federal ridings in B.C. have a single issue that overshadows the others as much as the Trans Mountain Expansion Project does in Burnaby North Seymour. A new report by the environmental group Stand.Earth has tallied up what it sees as the project's flaws. We wanted to find out where the candidates in that riding stood Sunday. Here's what they had to say. This study should be uh, another nail in the coffin 
of the Trans Mountain Pipeline Expansion Project. No surprise from Sven Robinson, the NDP candidate who's made his opposition to the project a cornerstone of his return to politics. Nor that Green Party candidate Amita Kuttner sees the report as another strike against Trans Mountain. It makes it completely clear that this project is absurd. But things get more interesting when you reach out to the parties with the most seats in Parliament. Conservative candidate Heather Lee Young was unreachable. And liberal incumbent Terry Beach couldn't give us a straight-up yes or no on Trans Mountain and didn't want us reading between the lines. No, that's, that's, your, your, that's your voice. If okay. you want to know how I stand on Trans Mountain, you should go to my website, terrybeach.ca or terrybeachmp.ca, and read my report. It's a very complex issue, and anybody that's trying to get to a simple yes or no answer is not doing uh, this particular issue service. For Beach, his long engagement on the project in his writing means a binary yes or no answer on whether he'd support it if re-elected is just too simplistic. Your one third pass on the yay or nay thing. No, don't, don't. You're not going to get a different answer. Just, if you could just. You're not going to get a third answer. That's. I'm done with that. That answer. That's my answer. In North Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Talks between Western Forest Products and the United Steelworkers Union have stalled. Western Forest Products says the local that represents 6,000 coastal workers withdrew from mediation with the company late Friday. 3,000 forestry workers remain on the picket line. Other workers in the logging and manufacturing sector with Western Forest Products issued strike notice at the end of June. They're seeking a three-year deal but decided to strike when they failed to reach an agreement. The major sticking points are wages, benefits, pensions and a new drug and alcohol policy. The province is providing a financial boost to a First Nations-led health care centre. Health Minister Adrian Dix joined First Nations leaders in Vancouver today to announce more than $200,000 in one-time funding to the Luma Medical Centre. It provides health and outreach services to urban-based First Nations, Métis and Inuit, many of whom live away from home and have to travel to urban centres to access medical treatment. And we have big plans for the future. Today's announcement will allow us to make this vision a reality. In the coming months and years, we will expand our team-based model. We will be building a sweat lodge, developing a traditional plant medicines program, starting an outreach team for homebound and vulnerable patients, opening an on-site pharmacy, and initiating dental, dietitian, and physiotherapy services within our clinic footprint. It has become a gathering place in downtown Vancouver, and tomorrow work begins to create a permanent plaza on Robson Street. Once completed, the plaza at 800 Robson will feature a flexible, open space for year-round events with movable seating and tables, additional benches and lighting, as well as a separation for people cycling and driving. Access to the plaza will be closed until the work is completed in the spring. During that time, an accessible pedestrian detour will be in effect, directing people to Georgia Street along the north side of the Vancouver Art Gallery. Three, two, one, go! And they're off. The 39th annual hometown Terry Fox run in Port Coquitlam this morning. Just one of 700 runs across Canada with 9,000 schools participating in the coming weeks, along with runs in 39 countries around the world. Another of the runs taking place in Stanley Park this morning. To date, more than $800 million has been raised worldwide for cancer research in Terry's name through the annual Terry Fox run. For run organizers and participants, it's a chance to celebrate Terry's legacy and hope for the future.
We've got people out here weren't even born when Terry was here. We have classmates of Terry's. We have teachers that taught Terry, friends, family. So it's really a neat vibe. Then you have people out here remembering loved ones who may have passed or who are um, fighting cancer right now. Nearly three dozen low-income seniors and people with disabilities in the small community of Salmon Arm are struggling to figure out where to go after they received eviction notices this week. Making matters worse, they have to be out in less than a month. Jules Knox reports on how the residents were all taken by surprise. How in the world could they do this? Seniors at a privately run assisted living facility in Salmon Arm were stunned when they woke up to find eviction notices plastered around their building Thursday morning. This building will be closed as of October 1st, 2019. Utilities will be disconnected and the building will be sealed. Giving tenants less than three weeks to move out. I don't know where I'm going to go. And then you've got to move your stuff. You know, it's, it's just devastating. Daniel Shields owns and operates the McGuire Lake Congregate Living Facility. He says he received a letter from his landlord at the end of July that his lease was cancelled effective immediately. Shields estimates he owes $100,000 and says the company then asked him to come up with a repayment plan. So he says he sent in a proposal, but he didn't tell his tenants about the possible eviction because he hoped it would be resolved. Lauren Zebinger is a representative for the company that owns the building. In an email, he said that Shields hasn't paid any rent or utilities since May or come up with a workable plan to pay back the money owed. Shields says he's waiting to find out if his tenants will be covered under the Residential Tenancy Act, which would require them to be given proper notice. But because they rent from him and he rents from somebody else, it's complicated. I want anybody that thinks I'm at fault that, to know I'm sorry. Uh, certainly wasn't. That wasn't the intention. In the meantime, the low-income seniors and people with disabilities that live here are struggling, worried that they'll be pushed into the streets. You just don't know. You don't know if, if you can stay here and where you're going to go. Um, you don't know if they're going to feed you. Jules Knox, Global News, Salmon Arm. A volunteer team of B.C. firefighters returned home very early this morning after spending the past week helping with relief efforts in the devastated regions of the Bahamas. Jill Bennett reports on why it was a difficult mission. The debris is so uh, piled, intense, uh, it's even keeping us from having uh, safe passage. This is one of the many scenes of devastation that greeted Burnaby firefighters and other team members who traveled to the Bahamas on their own dime to help in the aftermath of Hurricane Dorian. It looked like somebody would have taken their, their house and taken the roof off, dumped the contents onto the ground, smashed up the house and then mixed it with boats and cars and trees and fences. There's tons of nails, broken glass, twisted metal. Uh, voids where you could get trapped or fall through. Here's the other side of mud. The team, along with dogs trained to detect the scent of people both dead and alive, spent a week on the ground. In Marsh Harbour on Great Abaco Island, an area called Mud was home to a large number of Haitian refugees. It was leveled, making the search even more dangerous. There's parts of mud that all that is left is just foundations, and then other parts are just debris piles that are like 15 to 20 feet high. Canadian flag, 
We're going to get a Canadian today. The team was able to locate three Canadians who were unaccounted for, including Carrie Lowe, who spent about 36 hours taking shelter in an overturned bathtub. We just left Treasure Key and we have uh, solid confirmation on Carrie Lowe. We did locate a lot of deceased. But I think the biggest plus at the end of the day is finding the three Canadians that were still alive. That, that left us on a very high note. The team arrived home having left the Bahamas as another storm was approaching. They say they're thankful for their many supporters, including airlines that helped them with flights and let the dogs fly in the cabin. It was difficult to walk away, so we kind of backed it off to uh, knowing kind of within ourselves that um, Marsh Harbor was better after we left it than before we got there. And so we were happy with that. Jill Bennett, Global News. Protesters in Hong Kong hurled gasoline bombs at government buildings, the latest wave of violence stemming from that defiant push for democracy. Police fired back with water cannons and tear gas to try to disperse protesters. The protests, of course, began back in March over a controversial extradition bill. It has been rescinded, but the demonstrators are showing no signs of letting up. Here at home, a 17-year-old boy was killed and five others rushed to hospital in what the mayor of Mississauga is calling a senseless act of gun violence. Four teens and a woman in her 50s were injured in the mass shooting. Police are looking for at least seven suspects who fired semi-automatic handguns behind an apartment building just after 6 o'clock last night. A music video was being filmed at the time and it's believed the intended targets were those filming the rap video. It's believed another video filmed there previously sparked the attack. Police say the teen who was killed was a bystander. They come in indiscriminately and open fire on a, obviously a, a crowd that they were targeting, but they had no regard for any of the innocent people that were gathered in here last night. I'd like to get my kids and, and leave, you know, but this is where I work, this is where I live. The governor of New York has ordered state health officials to ban the sale of e-flavored cigarettes in an effort to curb children from vaping. Vaping is dangerous, period. Mario Cuomo sharply criticized the flavors like bubble gum and cotton candy as being obviously targeted towards young people. The ban would not impact tobacco and menthol-flavored e-cigarettes. He also plans to propose legislation next year that will ban advertising directed towards young people. The U.S. president proposed a similar federal ban last week in response to a recent surge in underage vaping. Uh, so I'm not relying or waiting for the federal government. Uh, I don't expect them to do anything responsibly, to act responsibly, because I've never seen them act responsibly. So uh, our destiny is in our own hands and we're taking action. An emotional night in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, as a former player seriously injured in the 2018 deadly Humboldt Broncos bus crash returned to the arena he once played in. Ryan Stretznitsky was one of the guests of honor at last night's Broncos game, his first time back to Humboldt since the collision that claimed 16 lives. Where are we sitting, boys? Excited, you know, a little bit of sadness maybe, but very tiny, you know. Good to see you. Looking good. Uh, with the support of everyone here, it's just absolutely amazing. So, a lot of happiness.
going through something like that and meeting a bunch of people who you know struggled even more than you and people who have it worse you know it makes it's really humbling and makes you really think so you want to be a better person to everyone because you never know when the last time you're going to see him is a hero's welcome for tennis star bianca andrescu in her hometown of mississauga this is crazy i never thought i would have my own parade before Thousands showed up for the She the North rally where it was announced a street would be named after the 19-year-old athlete. Andrescu thanked the audience, her family, her friends and Tennis Canada for all their support throughout her career. Of course, last weekend she became Canada's first Grand Slam tennis singles champion after beating Serena Williams in the U.S. Open final. Um, I'm truly, truly blessed. Uh, what's happening in Canadian sports this year has been so beautiful to watch and so inspiring. I did not get here alone though. I have to thank my whole entire team, my family, my friends. It's a photo that's getting a lot of attention today. Meghan Markle celebrated her husband Harry's 35th birthday today by sharing a never before seen photo of their son, Archie. She released the image on the Duke and Duchess of Sussex Instagram account. It's from Archie's christening in July. The couple has chosen, of course, not to uh, give the child a title at this time. Instead, he will be known as Master Archie when a prefix is required. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why climate change is leading to melting ice in the Arctic, which is heating up an international conflict. We're going to have that for you right after we have Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, we were talking about how it, I'm, I'm kind of on the very western edge of Vancouver, so I didn't see all the rain, but other parts got dumped on, right? Yeah, significant amount, especially for eastern areas, 20 and up to 30 millimeters, and I'll show you some of those impressive numbers, but I wanted to show you a few breaks out there. It has been great through the day today. On the cool side, we're sitting at 16 degrees, a southeasterly wind out of the airport at 19, but we are seeing gusts of up to 30 kilometers per hour. Here's the impressive numbers. Uh, Westwood Plateau, that's in Coquitlam, closer to 70 millimeters. Abbotsford and Hope, touching close to 30. Pitt Meadows at 25. West Van just over 20 millimeters and out of the airport at nine millimeters. So these were taken from yesterday, but a quick glance at some of the totals, what we've seen for September so far, and this is up until yesterday, not including today, a days of rain at six, a total of 48.4 millimeters will be close to the average and definitely exceeding that as we get in towards our Tuesday. We've got another weather maker and I'll have the timeline and what we can expect in just a moment. A few other numbers across the province today on the cool side, the Thompson Okanagan with highs up to 18 
18. Victoria today topping out at 15 and for the piece up to 12 degrees. A quick update on Tropical Storm Umberto. Right now we've got winds of up to 110 kilometers with gusts at 104. It's moving at a northern direction away from the Bahamas up to 10 kilometers per hour. Now the track of it, it will, uh, it's got the strength rather the potential to strengthen into a hurricane. So we'll continue to watch that. That'll be by tomorrow and it'll track its way offshore. But we are going to see the potential or the threat from the swells generated from Umberto along the coast, especially along the Carolinas in the eastern edge of Florida. So we'll continue to track that and give you any updates as they become available. The satellite and radar. So a bit of instability still this evening across the south coast. We could see an isolated shower, especially towards the north. Rain and heavy at times across the southern interior and the central interior. Just south of Prince George, a few lightning strikes popping up for areas near Williams Lake and Quinnell. And the peace and wet weather through this evening and then easing off tomorrow. This will be what we're anticipating for Monday. Some nice breaks. This is on Tuesday across the southern half of the province. But on the future cast, we can see the moisture moves in across the north coast for tomorrow. So rain, heavy at times, and then it'll push in towards the evening. It's Monday overnight and towards Tuesday. Rain and heavy at times across the south coast. That'll be the blip in the forecast. Dry conditions for the peace. Temperatures tomorrow up to 13. White horse with a few showers and a cool one up to 13 as well. Coastal sections, the rain will begin through the morning and continue to be heavy at times. Most areas for the Caribou and Central Interior wet tomorrow with a chance of showers and then dry for both Tuesday and Wednesday. Columbia and Kootenai, a few isolated showers, highs up to 19. The tops in Okanagan, dry conditions, a wetter day will be on your Tuesday. Most spots near Whistler tomorrow, partly cloudy with the high 14. Some breaks across the south coast, areas near Victoria. We will see a drier day for a Monday. The start to the work week, it's on Tuesday, rain and heavy at times. It rebounds, even warming up Wednesday, Thursday, with some sunshine and a high of 19. Colleen? Oh, looks good. Thanks, Yvonne. In the Arctic, temperatures are rising faster than anywhere else on Earth, and that's having an impact on all of us. Now, aside from devastating the local environment and wildlife population with it, there are also geopolitical ramifications. The sound of an icy world rapidly changing. Melting glaciers just a few hundred miles from the North Pole. And the animals that inhabit this Arctic no-man's land are in jeopardy. As traditional food sources disappear, they come looking in town. We have, at the current moment, polar bears in the vicinity of the settlement that we have to try to channel away to avoid confrontation with humans. This is the Norwegian archipelago of Svalbard, high above the Arctic Circle where an afternoon hike now requires a rifle for safety. Is climate change happening here? Absolutely. We see it every day. Stephen Hudson, an American atmospheric scientist, says temperatures here are warming faster than anywhere on Earth. What is causing it? Our emissions of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So we are causing it? Yeah, we're causing it. Climate change also causes cracks in the balance of power. The Arctic has become a magnet for nations competing for rich resources because climate change has kept a once-frozen sea open longer to navigation. Captain Lars Larsen and the crew of his Norwegian Navy frigate see increased Russian activity in the Arctic Ocean. I believe they have to show some muscles. I, mean, I want to, to show what they are capable of. The Norwegians don't want or anticipate any hostility with Russia in this new Arctic. But they're prepared. 
This is footage of a portable Russian nuclear reactor being towed into the Arctic just last month. To date, the United States lacks the military capability of maneuvering here. If we don't get into that competitive space, we're destined to have a conflict there in the future. Up here, climate change is not up for debate. What has started here is going to happen to the rest of the world. Tonight, people in tiny, isolated Svalbard wonder if the rest of the world is listening. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Longyearbyen, Norway. Okay, now that we're all depressed, uh, Squire's here to cheer us up. <laughs> well, the Canucks camping trip is over. Actually, you know what? It's not so much camping, it's glamping. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're sleeping in tents. They're not roughing it. They're staying in nice hotels. They've got trainers everywhere. But <laughs> the three-day uh, training camp has ended in Victoria, although half the team is staying there for a game tomorrow. The preseason begins tomorrow. And uh, we'll tell you all about what happened today in the NFL, including another Seahawks win. Oh, good. Go. See, I knew you'd cheer us up. All right, it's that time of year when hope reigns eternal. For every team in the NHL. Exactly. Yeah, even the Canucks. Uh, so, with that in mind, I'm going to say something that uh, I probably should actually have saved in the cloud <laughs> because I really doubt I'll be able to say this a lot when the Canucks regular season begins. But right now, Alex Edler, Brandon Sutter, and Chris Tanev are all healthy. Three men who visit doctors more than most hypochondriacs. Tanev needs to stay healthy for career's sake because he is in the final year of his deal with Vancouver. And even though I don't think the Canucks would keep him beyond next season, at least not at the $4.4 million he makes right now, a robust year could get him a decent paying role with another team. As I said, it's, it's really good to get out there after not playing so much uh, the last few years. So, I mean, I'm, I'm super, super happy to get out there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and down the ice and buzz around and play confident. Now, here's something that's a bit weird, or perhaps it's just Canuck luck. Before Brandon Sutter got to Vancouver, one of his selling points was the fact he was usually healthy, but he must be allergic to mountains and oceans, because ever since he joined the Canucks, he has been dogged by injuries, last year being the worst of all. Like Tanev, as of right now, he feels great. Sure, it was, uh, was definitely frustrating for sure, um, but uh, I think I've had lots of time to uh, you know, kind of build myself back up a bit, and I think uh, you know, mentally I feel, uh, feel really sharp and ready to go, and uh, just, just excited to get back. I think uh, sometimes you, you take things for granted a little bit, and, and I think after having a year like last year, you really realize uh, you know, how, how much you cherish playing in this league and, and how special it is. Okay, now it's time for the X Games. Preseason begins tomorrow. A couple of games against Calgary. Half of the Canucks will play the Flames in Victoria. The other half will play the Flames in Calgary. Tuesday, it's Edmonton. Then Vancouver travels to Edmonton on Thursday. And all the Canucks have eight exhibition games, including one next week in Abbotsford against Ottawa. So last night, the Whitecaps did something the Lions did on Friday. They actually won a game at home in bomb with a penalty kick goal. And the winner came... In the 90th minute from Freddie Montero. Now, Vancouver's out of the playoffs. But the head coach, Mark DeSantos, said every game is meaningful. They always have something to play for. You play for, for sponsors, for the club that plays, pays you, for the club that brought you in and believes in you. You play for the fans that even knocked out 
they still come in and buy tickets and support the team and follow the team. We have a lot to play for. We have a lot. I think it was Pete Carroll's birthday today. 68, if I'm not very much mistaken. Russell Wilson got sacked four times in this game against Pittsburgh. And Chris Carson had a bit of issue holding on to the ball. A couple of fumbles. This one was actually taken back for a touchdown by the Steelers, but then it was called back because of an illegal block. They still have the ball, of course. And uh, James Conner, who hurt his knee later in the game, gets this one just across the goal line. So it's 7-0 for Pittsburgh. Russell Wilson had 300 yards passing. Exactly. Two touchdown passes to his tight end, Will Disley. There was the first one. And then this happened to Ben Roethlisberger. Elbow issues. Out of the game. And in the second half, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback for Pittsburgh. There's Will Disley's other touchdown to make it 14-10 in the third. Rashad Penny stops. Changes direction and goes the distance. Look at Russell Wilson all the way downfield throwing blocks or at least running interference. There's the move right there by Penny. That was a 37-yard run. 21-13 at that point for the Seahawks. We mentioned Mason Rudolph in at quarterback because of Ben Roethlisberger's injury. Didn't play all that bad. Doesn't panic. Sees an opening. Gets a first down. This is on a scoring drive by Pittsburgh. He would also find his tight end, Vance McDonald, who's just sort of hanging around. Drives that one in. 21-19. DK Metcalf, the rookie. Good concentration. Take another look. Does a bit of a juggling act here, but gets both feet in bounds. That's a good bingo. And Pete Carroll, the most enthusiastic man in his late 60s you'll ever see. Well, I'm sure there are others around, but he's elbowing guys, he's hugging guys, and the Seahawks are 2-0. and So Antonio Brown didn't get a lot of practice in with New England this week, but since they were playing the Miami Dolphins, who apparently are only playing this year so other teams can improve their stats, the Patriots put him in the game, and he looked like he knew the playbook already. There he is right there. In fact, in the first scoring drive, had three catches. This is one of them. And this would set up, or at least help set up, this touchdown by Sony Michelle to make it 7-0. As for Antonio Brown's touchdown, we showed it before the break. Here it is again. Might have pushed off a little bit, but they gave it to him. That would make it 13-0 in the second quarter. The Dolphins are tragic. They were run over by the Ravens last week. Here, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I don't know who he's throwing to, but it ends up being an easy touchdown by uh, Stephen Gilmore there. 54-yard return. That made it 30 to nothing. Then, Kellen Bellage catches it, and then I don't know what happened there either. He just sort of lost it. And it ends up in the hands of James Collins. Touchdown, Patriots. Take another look. Whoop. Yeah, that's the way it's gone so far for Miami. 43 to nothing. They've been outscored 102 to 10 in their first two games. Vikings and Packers. Aaron Rodgers has a good first quarter. 
Jamal Williams, take it, go. Good downfield block, touchdown. 7-0 against the Vikings. Geronimo Allison, didn't do a lot in week one, but does get a touchdown in week two. That made it 14-0. They didn't run away from the Vikings. In fact, on this play, one of the Vikings ran away from them. Dalvin Cook, 75-yard run. He had 154 yards rushing. The Vikings had a chance in this game. They came back, but Kirk Cousins, fatal mistake in the fourth quarter. No, 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 no. Mm, Double coverage. Ball game. Packers hold on for a 21-16 win. Nice uh, interception there by Kevin King. Well, Andy Reid and the Chiefs only needed one good quarter to beat the Raiders. It was the second quarter. Patrick Mahomes for Demarcus Robinson. Wide open. Then, McCole Hardman. They're explosive. Hey, going deep again. Touchdown. That made it 14-10. Then Mahomes to Travis Kelsey. Make sure Oakland has no chance to get points. Got one-on-one down here for Kelsey. It was just a Sunday game of catch in the second quarter between Mahomes and all his receivers. He had four touchdown passes in one quarter. That was the only quarter they would score, and that's Demarcus Robinson again. Mahomes, 443 yards and four touchdowns. Saints and Rams, the two Shawns, McVay and Peyton, and this is bad. That little follow-through right there by Drew Brees, hitting Aaron Donald's hand, injured his hand, and he said after the game, this could be bad. And that's bad news for the Saints, not to have Drew Brees. Todd Gurley on the pitch. Finds the end zone. That made it 13-6. And then Jared Goff. This is a nice catch by Brandon Cooks. Good concentration here. And without Drew Brees, the Saints were no match for the Rams, 27-9. And this was last night at Rogers Arena. That's Vancouver's Tristan Connolly, welterweight, making his UFC debut. He was fighting Michelle Pereira of Brazil, who fights like a character from Mortal Kombat. Oh, rolling thunder. But it didn't matter because Connolly kept his cool and scored a unanimous decision in his favor in his first UFC bout. In fact, he was fight of the night. Got to do it in front of the home fans. Born in Victoria. Now calls Vancouver his home base. BC boy with a big win in front of the hometown fans. There you go. All right. Thanks so much, Squire. Uh, We've got some breaking news now. Rick Ocasek, famed front man for rock band The Cars, has been found dead in a Manhattan apartment. New York police officers who responded to a 911 call found the 75-year-old this afternoon. There were no signs of foul foul play, and the medical examiner has yet to determine a cause of death. The car's chart-topping hits in the late 1970s and 80s included Just What I Needed, Shake It Up, and Drive. The band was inducted last year into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And last year, model and actress Polina Poroskova announced on social media that she and Ocasek had separated after 28 years of marriage.
Many kids dream about meeting a professional hockey player and getting that coveted autograph. Well, for a little girl named Bailey, that dream came true this weekend. Bailey is the daughter of global reporter Richard Zussman. She and her brother were in the thick of the crowd of kids this weekend in Victoria for the Canucks training camp. Richard says she was intimidated at first by all the boys, but summoned her courage and she got to meet another Bailey, Justin Bailey. The Canucks tweeted out this video of the pair all smiles. So cute. Great job, Bailey. Uh, yeah, good for her. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do the things that scare you and then you get rewarded, <laughs> right? Act, right? Like, act like you know what you're doing and you should be there. And it's amazing what you can get. I lived my whole life that way, yeah. Squire. My whole life. Uh, okay, what are we expecting in the weather? Final look at your five-day forecast. A few breaks uh, tomorrow will be the driest, and then Tuesday, rain and heavy at times. A cool one. It should be around quite quickly Wednesday, Thursday. Be prepared, though, a bit unsettled for a Tuesday. Okay, we've been warned. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Jordan will have all your news tonight coming up at 11. Have a great night. Thanks.